It is the 200 level episode 206. It's game week. It is here. Brett Bielma, the Brett Bielma era, I should say, is about to start on Saturday at noon against Nebraska, and I won't be there. What a terrible fan I am. Mike Carpenter back here in the basement studio after a summer hiatus of sorts. We did one episode back on July 16th after Kofi confirmed that he was coming back. And now here we are with episode 206. I'm looking back at what we had done before that. And we had a Chester Frazier episode, May 6th. We had an Orlando Antigua episode on April 27th. And as I mentioned on the last podcast over a month ago, part of the reason for this hiatus is I blew a fan fuse after the way that that basketball season ended. And I think a lot of us did. We needed a break from Illini sports. And for a while, there wasn't much good news. But as I sit here today... It's actually Sunday, August 22nd, as I'm recording this, and you might be getting this on Monday. As I sit here today, I feel as good about Illini sports as I have in a long time. And that's refreshing. And I think that the break, quote-unquote break, that we took here was actually beneficial for me as a fan because I feel refreshed going into Saturday's game and really this football season in general, and not with any sort of expectations. And that's what kind of makes this fun. When you brought in, let's say, Lovey Smith... The first year, we couldn't help but be excited because that was a name brand, and we thought, well, clearly this is going to be a major upgrade from Tim Beckman and Bill Cubitt. Of course, it was not. It was awful, but there was that excitement, and I don't mind the fact that I don't have that same sort of visceral excitement going into this season, and part of that is a phrase that I used back when we hired Brett Bielma in the first place, consistently competent which is not the most exciting phrase, and it's probably not going to sell that many tickets. But when I put those two words together, it's something that I've not seen as an Illini football fan. And it appears to me that if there is a guy to get that done, it would be Brett Bielema. And it's been a great start for him. And when I say great, again, it's just been competent. And I'll take that as an Illini fan, a staff that is experienced, recruiting in-state, 22 super seniors, and we're going to get into more of a detailed roster breakdown with the help of Jeremy Warner and Alana Inquirer and all the great stuff that they've done over there because even I, myself, find that i got to be doing some reading up and getting back into the nitty-gritty, as Lante would say. But yeah, just entering this season without any specific expectations about they need to win X amount of games and being able to sort of sit back and just watch football And even if they were to lose, let's say, seven games, five and seven, and I guess maybe in some circumstances even a four and eight, could somehow, someway look competent. Just don't lose 45 to 10, which we got so accustomed to in the Lovey Smith era. Hell, I mean, more than 45 points you'd give up. Sometimes it was in the 60s. Just give me competence. And I think with the veterans on this roster, that might actually equate to wins when you look at the schedule as well. So we're going to do a couple things on today's episode. We're going to talk macro with Brett Bielema and that era starting up. We're going to look at the schedule and do a way too early dare to dream, but I'm not going to dare to dream so much as I'll try to give a realistic prediction about how this season could unfold. And then finally, we're going to look at the roster and see what are the areas of strength and weakness. And there are areas of weakness, but one thing that I'm a little puzzled by is the total lack of love that Illinois is getting from the national media. I shouldn't be. They were pretty bad last year. But I don't think a lot of people from out of town realize how inept Lovey was as a college football head coach. And I said the same thing after Tim Beckman. I said the same thing after Ron Zook. So maybe fool me once, fool me twice, fool me five times. Maybe it won't get better. 
but I don't know. I have an inkling that it will by virtue of Lovey being really bad at that level of football and just not, not a fit for it, if we're being honest. And Brett Bielema actually being a great fit for Big Ten football. All right, before we get too far into this, got to thank our sponsors. They're back on board. DP Doe is entering their 15th year. And I was talking with Steve uh, over at DP Doe, and he had mentioned that. And I recall back in 2006 when it opened up. And it was actually a nice break for me and my friends because we used to get Drew's Pizza. And if any of you remember that, please send me a Twitter message. Drew's Pizza, $5 one-topping pizzas. It was absolute garbage, but when you're a freshman at the U of I, you don't care. Going to sophomore year, and a friend one time says, have you tried this new calzone place? And we go back to their place, and they lived at the Tower at 3rd, and we, or, uh, we ordered a bunch of DP Doe calzones. And I realized at that point that you could spend $5 on something, and it doesn't have to be crap. So go to dpdo.com and their 15th year, they got all the same great stuff that they had when I was there. This is quality stuff for a great price, whether it be lunch, where they can deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. Maybe you celebrate Illinois beating Nebraska with a calzone with any toppings that you want. You can create custom zones in addition to favorites like the Buffer Zone and the Maui Wowie. Those were our two go-tos back in college. dpdo.com, that is dpdo.com. Fourth and Kirby, I got new swag, and I actually have it right here ready to go for Saturday. Now, again, I'm not going to be at the game. I'm going to be at this music festival down in Kentucky, but this is a brand new retro football t-shirt, and it's got the 80s Illini helmet. And for Mike White era fans, you would recognize the curved Illini on the orange helmet. This shirt, like basically everything that they have, is sick. This will be washed and ready to go for Saturday. That and another big guy, they call a big guy two. I have Big Guy 1. It's my favorite Illini football t-shirt that I own. Big Guy 2 is just as cool. That is online right now at fourthandkirby.com. Got to thank State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. So life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it. Brian will hook you up with not only expertise, which he helped me and Kara when we made the move to this new house, but great State Farm prices. That is brianismyguy.com. And finally, Rector Construction, online at rectorconstruction.com. And, you know, we typically associate spring and summer with construction season, but really it never ends. So whatever home project you are looking to get done, contact Rector Construction. These guys can get it done, and I can vouch for them too. Good dudes. So great work, good dudes. What more could he ask for? And they give back to the community quite a bit. Rector Construction. Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level. I think that's all the formalities. And here we go. Episode 206, Brett Bielma's first season. I was reflecting back uh, to December when there was the coaching search. And it's funny how as I sit here, I'm having a hard time remembering some of the other names that were part of that coaching search. Lance Leipold, who I think is at Kansas now, and that might be a good fit. And I think you play Kansas later this decade. I don't know, 2026, 2027, one of those non-conference games that is seven or eight years from now. But he's got a good spot there. And I wonder, looking back, if you had gotten, let's say, a Lance Leipold, how much excitement there would be. I thought it was a safe hire. I thought that Todd Munkin, or is it Jeff Munkin? Who's the guy at Army? Todd, right? Who runs the triple option. I thought that was the outside of the box hire and a guy that would find a way to win, even with an unorthodox style. So when the Brett Bielema name came out last December, I wasn't initially that excited because I think what happened at Arkansas, like for most people, sort of painted a picture of what kind of college football coach he was. A little bit surly, 
perhaps, difficult to get along with. And then I look back at the Wisconsin era, and I got to be honest, it was a very superficial judgment I made about Brett Bielema. And I would even say this, if I, if I were to happen to meet Brett Bielema and he said, well, I don't know why he would, but if we got to a conversation about what I thought of him when he was at Wisconsin, he looked just like a dude, you know, kind of disheveled. Of course, there's that infamous picture of him shirtless at a bar in Florida or something. And listen, he is just a dude. And I thought, how the hell was this guy winning at Wisconsin? Well, he did so far beyond the Barry Alvarez continuation, right? There's always coaches that, let's say Bruce Weber, inherit a great roster, have success, and then they fizzle. And that was not the case with Brett Bielema. Now, the circumstances in which he left Wisconsin were puzzling. Almost as puzzling as how Gary Anderson was there for a year, went, what, like 11-2 and two and then left for Oregon State? Uh, but it was puzzling, and that, mixed with what happened in Arkansas, led a lot of us, understandably, to think, well, there's got to be something more there. And you know what? Maybe there is. But for all the months that have passed since you hired Brett Bielema, I'm still trying to rack my brain or, or search for what exactly was the problem. And all I can find is just little bits of hearsay, and maybe someone didn't like him as much as the other guy, and nothing concrete that would tell me that this is a risky hire. And in fact, I think it's the opposite of that. It's anti-risky, safe almost, because you, want, you went and got a guy that has won at this level, and specifically Big Ten football. And you could go to different conferences, and let's even go with the SEC, and the fact that Brett Bielema did not excel in the SEC, though he did have a few decent years for a historically bad, or at least recent history, bad football program in Arkansas. Look at where they're at right now. So with Brett Bielema and the Big Ten, I mentioned the word safe. And when I mentioned that word and the word competent, I'm avoiding flashy, explosive. I don't need that. In fact, so often when there's been coaching searches for Illinois football, I've been looking for that guy that can light the spark. But when we use terminology like that, I think it is ignoring the path of least resistance, which is run a football program that recruits good linemen, that can run the ball, and makes fewer mistakes than the next guy. Take a look at the Big Ten West, Purdue, for example. I don't really know what's going on with Brom over there, and it doesn't look like that is going to sustain itself. And just a couple years ago, he was the hot commodity. When they beat Ohio State at home, I think that was the fall of 2018, I think we all thought, oh, crap. Purdue's going to be there, and they're going to be really good for a long time. I don't think that's the case. They're kind of broken. And when you look at what the identity was for a Jeff Brom, there was a bit of a novelty there. It worked early, and now it's not. Keep your eye on P.J. Fleck. That novelty really worked well in year two. And I think they're going to be fine this year. And I think he could settle into a six, seven, one a year thing like a Glenn Mason type. I'd take that personally. But again, the novelty, will that stick? Does it have longevity? But then look at Kirk Ferentz. Look at Pat Fitzgerald. And look at Wisconsin, regardless of who the coach is. When you look at what Brett Bielema could do at Illinois, it might not be the most exciting brand of football. I don't need exciting. I just want wins. I want consistent bowl appearances. I want to be able to go into the lots and not feel as if I'm going to see another 2-10 and 10 football team that year, which has always been the concern as an Illini football fan. No matter who you hire, you know that the bottom can fall out at any moment. But I don't think the bottom can fall out at any moment if you actually have a coach with a template, 
with a foundation set that is based in old school Big Ten football. They're going to run a pro style offense. Thank God. You know, I think about all the spread action that you would get for through all the years, whether it be, oh my gosh, why am I forgetting who our offensive coordinator was last year? Rod Smith. My God, I, th- I think mentally I'm trying to purge the last five years. When you go back to the Petrino, even, Petrino had a little bit of success, but then that offense really fizzled out in 2011. So all these different offensive systems that we've run, even Mike Loxley, which was maddeningly inconsistent, sometimes great, sometimes awful. And now we're going this old school, almost Lloyd Carr, Michigan style of offense where you have a guy like a Brandon Peters who isn't great, but he can make some passes and you run the damn ball and you don't turn the ball over. And then you have, let's hope, fingers crossed, a serviceable defense. And then over the years, maybe you bring the guys in where you truly become a Wisconsin or an Iowa or hell, even a Northwestern. And that is the model that Illinois has never really tried. And if you think about it, it's top down. Ron Gunther, football guy, couldn't get a football guy. So how, how good of a football guy was he after all? I don't know. Not very good when you consider that his hires were Ron Turner. I think he kind of inherited Lou Tepper. And Ron Zook, while that got some excitement here, back to that word excitement, flashy, explosive, great recruiting, no longevity. This is where I need to start with Josh Whitman and give him some credit for this particular hire. He will have to wear the Levy Smith thing until Brett Bielema turns this thing around. He will have to wear that. He has to own it. And I think the fact that he made the move after a COVID-impacted year says a lot. Because you could have kept Levy Smith and made, I don't think fans would have bought it that much, but you could have made the rationale that we just are not in a position to make a move. Or that this year was not a true reflection of what Levy and his staff can do. You could have done that. But there was enough urgency on Josh Whitman's end to make that move. So kudos to him. Thank goodness. Because that would have been a much longer offseason if we're doing the same thing with Lovey and just fingers crossed the transfer portal delivers. But no, instead, Josh Whitman went out there and got the safe pick. Safe in that it's been done at this level. Safe that it's been done at athletic programs that are not dissimilar from Illinois. And this is where, as Illini fans, I think the inferiority complex kind of hits that we are so used to losing that we really at our core don't think we ever deserve to win consistently, or we think that we are not capable of doing so. But let's look at Wisconsin historically before Barry Alvarez, a terrible football program. They were the easy win on the schedule. Before Hayden Fry, Iowa, I'd have to go back and look at it, but I don't think they were some perennial 7-8 win team at all. They had some lean years. Northwestern, of course. Uh, I know that's a little bit different given their academic standards and the fact that they got their own guy running the show and Pat Fitzgerald, and Illinois doesn't really have that outside of maybe a Nathan Shieldhouse. So, hey, Brett Bielema has a great 12-year run here, and Nathan Shieldhouse is ready to come down. Wouldn't that be nice to have your own Illini guy? But other programs have found a way to turn things around and do so consistently. And it feels like almost a tired narrative that every time we hire a new coach, we point to these different programs, specifically Wisconsin or in Iowa, and say, why not us? Well, now we got the guy from Iowa and from Wisconsin to do it. Now, when I was doing the show with Lon, he would say, and this is actually back when it was T&J show, so it was Lon and Jeremy and myself, 
right after Lovey was hired, and Lon had this theory that if this doesn't work, it never will work. And I understood where he was coming from because you went out there and you got a big fish that I never would have thought would consider Illinois. Why would Lovey Smith come here and coach at Illinois? So it felt exciting. It felt like, oh my God, you know, maybe we aren't as bad as we thought. Maybe we can be cool. And while I understand where Lon was coming from, I think that we all sort of underrated the fact that, right, Lovey had never done this at the college level. He hadn't been in the college game for 20 plus years. So of course it was rocky at the start and he was never able to recover. Awful staff, no real idea or identity of how he was going to bring guys in and it, it just was a total haphazard mess. So as time went on, I, I sort of softened on that idea that if Lovey doesn't work, nothing will. And that's why last December, I, after doing some internet sleuthing, including, you know, looking at Brett Bielma interviews on YouTube, which, again, very superficial, but you also want to be somewhat inspired by whoever the coaching hire is and how he speaks and how he engages with the media and fans. And then very quickly, I turn around to this idea that this is the guy. This is the guy. And he has done nothing in the intervening eight, nine months to suggest otherwise. And that's impressive. I think about the way that he interacts with the media I think about the fact that he is this kind of old school guy that will go to the quarterback club meetings and he will schmooze with the people they need to schmooze with. So he knows he has it embedded in his DNA what a high level college football coach would have to do. Now, these are all very glowing statements that I'm making for someone that might not succeed here. But I do think that in my lifetime, there is a higher chance or a higher likelihood that Brett Bielema might actually work at Illinois than Lovey, Bill Cubitt. Tim Beckman, Ron Zook, Ron Turner, Lou Tepper. That's a bad list. So if we're thinking, why has Illinois football not succeeded? Look at the list that I just named there. And how many of them went on to have success anywhere else as a head coach? Zero. And I feel like sometimes we overcomplicate it and think, well, God, why, why does it never work at Illinois? But the fact is, there's never been someone that has failed here that has went on to succeed elsewhere. I guess Gary Moeller, if you're going way back. But I think you could put a lot of guys in Michigan, not named Brady Hoke, Rich Rodriguez, or Jim Harbaugh, and they would do okay. But yeah, that's pretty much it. If you don't have good coaches, you are not going to win. Likewise, if you don't have good quarterbacks, you aren't going to win. Look at the names of quarterbacks that have started games for Illinois in the last decade. Post-Nate Shieldhouse. It's not good. So it's no wonder we've been in this mess. Bad coaching, never had a quarterback, and not all that many pros. Yeah, you've been bad. So it's one of those things where there, there might be some sort of systemic thing that is keeping Illinois from becoming a really good football program, but I've always pushed back against that. I know that Lauren Tate, because he lived through the slush fund and he thinks that that, that and other things have kind of crippled Illinois football and admission standards and all that, I know that there have been obstacles but nothing that other programs haven't been able to overcome at some point. And I don't think that Lauren or anybody else that has far more context than I do is trying to make excuses for anybody. But I, I feel like it's a bit of a cop-out when at its core, it's about who's coaching you and how good are your players, which, as Ron Zook said, it's not about X's and O's, it's about Jimmy's and Joe's. Well, I think it's about both. I think it's about a coach that knows what he's doing, X's and O's, and he can go out and get the Jimmy's and Joe's. And I'm hoping, hoping that Brett Bielma 
can do that. Is he getting five-star kids? No. But he is getting Big Ten caliber athletes, especially at the line, especially in-state, to commit. And if they happen to have a successful year this year, which wouldn't take much, go six and six with this schedule, that's a successful first year. It shows that this guy does, in fact, know what he's doing. And I think that very quickly you would get that momentum rolling for 2023 and 2024. Now, before we get into this season, let's give fair warning to everybody. There is a very high likelihood, a very high likelihood, that the next couple years are going to be lean. When you look at the 22 super seniors that will not be here next year, and let's call it what it is, a lack of depth, and depending on the position, a lack of talent, going into 2022 and 23. That could be rough. And maybe there is some patchwork stuff that Bielema and his staff can do through the transfer portal. But in all likelihood, if there is to be a strike while the iron is hot kind of moment, it would be this year before you go into a couple of lean years. If you have a successful first year, six wins, maybe seven. God forbid, eight and four. Oh my God, let's not even, let's not even broach that, but I guess it is possible. But let's say six and six, that's something that I can ride for the next couple of years. And I think a lot of fans could. If you get early returns that suggest that this will work long term, then there will be patience in years two and three. And there will be a sense that, okay, this will take a little bit of time, but at least we have the right person in there for the job. Let's take a look at this schedule. And I kind of go back and forth between whether this is a tough schedule or a very winnable schedule. And I tend to side with the latter. I tend to think that this is a schedule where they can win six games, maybe seven this year. Help, maybe eight if every single thing goes right. But there's also the chance that they might go four and eight, which is what some prognosticators have said. And I think that the over-under for wins in Vegas is still sitting there at three and a half. Now, I would put money, if I were a betting man, but I'm terrible at gambling, on Illinois getting more than three and a half wins. I think they'll go over that. I think they'll go over that by a couple, if not a few. And it really all comes down to how they start the year. Now, I look at this Nebraska game. I look at the mess that is Scott Frost, Nebraska, currently embroiled in a scandal because they held unsanctioned practices. And you look at someone that it should have been a home run hire. I think we all freaked out a bit when Scott Frost was hired by Nebraska, thinking, well, they got their guy who had immense success. Was it Central Florida? Yeah, Central Florida. And it just hasn't worked. And he's kind of a jerk. He's not warm and cuddly like we normally associate with Nebraska. I'm kind of tired of the whole Nebraska shtick as well, going back to last year and the parents that went to Fogo to Chow in the suburbs of Chicago to say, we want our football only to go three and five or two and six, whatever the record was, when they finally played and get smoked by Illinois. But all that said, there's still some talent on that Nebraska team. So I'm not going to go so far as to say that this Saturday, Illinois is just going to come out, kick ass, start one to know. I think it's possible. I really do. I have this odd confidence about Saturday's game, which is peculiar because we haven't seen this Illinois team play for nine months. And the last time we did, they were pretty damn bad. So I'm, I'm sort of presuming that there's a magic wand element here to Brett Bielema and his staff that they are just that much better than Lovey and that joke of a staff that he had. That things will click and they will do so quickly. But this Saturday, noon kickoff, I like Illinois. 
And if they win, can you imagine the excitement? Now, I won't be here in town. Again, you know, going to be down at the music festival in Lexington, and I, I'm bummed to not be there for what could be a really good Saturday. It could also be one of those Saturdays where you go in super excited, and then by 3.30, you walk back out to Lot 31 thinking, oh, my God, here we go again. And that is something that I could not risk that when I know I got My Morning Jacket, one of my favorite bands, playing on Saturday and then Dave on Sunday. So I couldn't risk that. I had to go with the sure thing, right? The safe bet was I know I'm going to have a good time at this music festival. But I will have my phone, and I will be watching some of the game at the tailgate outside of the music festival and keeping tabs on what happens here and doing a podcast the next day. I'm taking my stuff down there, and then from our hotel on that Sunday morning, I will do a podcast regardless of what happens Saturday. But I would love, since I can't picture being outside Lot 31 after Illinois beats Nebraska, I would love to wake up that Sunday grab coffee in the hotel lobby, and just soak in the fact that Illinois started 1-0 against a Big Ten team, and one that they've actually played pretty well against the last couple years, and really well last year. Is Nebraska all of a sudden 20-plus points better than they were when you faced them last year? I don't think so. And I can't imagine Illinois being run uh, any less competently than they were last year when they did actually look really good in Lincoln. I think it's a good matchup. I think Illinois starts off 1-0. And just Picturing that and thinking what that week would be like leading up to UTSA, Texas-San Antonio, which is not an easy game by a lot of measures, but at least being able to feel excited, something that I've tried to caution myself, and, and as I've said, it's the competence of Brett Bielema that excites me more than any sort of explosiveness. But to get a tangible thing under your belt, to get a win, an opening week win, while there are really no other big games going on in week zero, So you would get a bit of the nation's attention if you did so. And leading into a Labor Day weekend matchup against UTSA, tough but winnable. And I think this team will start 2-0. Now, that leads to Virginia. And this is where my previous history of Illinois going on the road for non-conference games, this probably influences my decision on this. Also, the fact that Virginia is not bad. I think they went, what was it, 5-5 five and five or 5-4 five and four last year. A big one against North Carolina. They got a lot of guys coming back, so they are a veteran team. They aren't great, but you're on the road. You're traveling a pretty long way, and I just don't like those early season non-conference games. When was the last time Illinois won one of those early season non-conference games? Syracuse in 07? I think that's it. I mean, maybe 2011 when they started 6-0, and there was a non-conference game, but that was Arizona at home. I, I go back to the Micron PC season where they beat Louisville at Louisville early in the season. That was kind of an eye-opener because Illinois scored 45 points or something like that. Uh, but there were not many moments in September when Illinois goes on the road to face a non-conference major opponent and have success. And that's why that game, I look at it and I'm a little bit scared. I don't like that. (laughs) So Illinois, Virginia, let's just say two and one. And I think that that is a fair prediction to start because that also gives you a little bit of leeway in those opening two games where you could drop one of those as well. So two and one after three, I think you're still in good shape. Maryland and Purdue and Charlotte are the next three games. Now you get Maryland at home, which I like that a lot better than if you were to go on the road. We know what happened two years ago, but I actually think that this is a game on a Friday night that you should win. I'll call that three and one. 
And this leads to a swing game, a major swing game. While I don't believe that Brom has longevity at Purdue, I don't think that's going to work long-term based on what's happened the last couple of years. That is a matchup that has been tricky for Illinois. You can't go back two years ago to when you beat Wisconsin at home and then went on the road at a rainy West Lafayette and you got the win in somewhat dominant fashion. But then you look at last year, and while there were injuries that played a part of it, Illinois' defense has had issues with Purdue's offense when it's not a monsoon outside. And that game still concerns me. So if I'm playing this conservative, I'll say that after the first five, you are three and two going into the Charlotte game on October 2nd. And let's call that four and two. This is a reasonable and I think a realistic prediction. Four and two in the first six. Anything less than that means that you lost a swing game that maybe you shouldn't have, given the fact that you got 22 super seniors, all these guys coming back, and a much improved coaching staff, or so we think. Three and three would be mildly disappointing. Two and four, not good. But four and two, it could happen. And then that leads to the final six games of the year, the second half. And this is where it becomes a bear of a schedule. Now, I mentioned how four and two is very attainable. So imagine October 9th, Wisconsin coming into town. That is a 2.30 kick, I believe, 2.30 or 3. Brett Bielema was old school, the team that you had beaten two years ago when they were top five in the nation. I think it's homecoming. Pretty sure it is on October 9th. That would be electric. I presume a sellout. Mid-October, always the best weather of the year. And I circled that as a 4-2 and two Illini team. You would feel a buzz in this town that you haven't felt in a long time. Now, I still don't think you're winning that game. Despite what happened two years ago, that was a one in a hundred shot. Everything that could go right in the fourth quarter did go right for Illinois. But at least you would have that moment, even if you don't win. But let's call it four and three. You go on the road to Penn State. Let's call that four and four. Just kind of moving quickly here. Rutgers at home. Now, Rutgers will be improved, but I still like that. So let's say you're five and four after nine. You are in position for a bowl game. Final three games at Minnesota, at Iowa, Northwestern, at home. Now, Minnesota, I think you got a shot. Now, last year it got away from you. Uh, two years ago, not good. But I do sense that Minnesota is going to fall into a period of kind of stagnation where they are a team that consistently wins six or seven, but I don't see them being the nine or ten win team like they were a couple years ago. Let's call it a loss, though. Let's play a conservative and say you're 5-5. Five and five. You go on the road to Iowa, and I think that might be the toughest game on the schedule other than Wisconsin. I think even tougher than Penn State. Kirk Ferentz has something going up there. He's, he has the occasional lull where maybe for a three-season stretch, he's winning seven games a year as opposed to nine. He is in that peak right now where he's winning like nine, ten games a year. And I don't like that matchup. I never like playing Iowa. And let's call it now five and six going to the final game against Northwestern. And again, I'm trying to play it safe. I'm not doing dare to dream. I'm thinking, what is the most realistic outcome? And this news this week is big for Illinois. Cam Porter, you might recall him last year. He ran rough shot over the Illinois defense. Then again, who didn't? But he is out for the year at Northwestern. And the thing about Northwestern is despite their dominance against Illinois in recent history, Despite that dominance, they occasionally have a stinker of a year, and they are due for a stinker of a year. Now, it is never fun to play them on Thanksgiving weekend when no one's in town and no one gives a crap, but with a bowl appearance on the line, 
in Brett Bielema's first season, and as long as you don't get completely smoked by Minnesota and Iowa, you maintain a little bit of momentum, go out there and beat Northwestern. It's still Northwestern. I know what Fitzgerald has done up there is incredible. I begrudgingly accept the fact that he is a great coach. No matter how crazy he makes me with his alpha dog, you know, meathead personality, the guy knows how to coach. He does. But that is a winnable game. So I'm going to sit here today and be the optimist. And I'm going to say that this team goes 6-6. Six and six. I don't need them to go more than 6-6. Six and six. I suppose they could if everything goes right. I don't want them to go 4-8 and eight, or anything worse than that for sure. It is attainable, and it's realistic, and it's not unreasonable to think that with this schedule and with 22 super seniors, that you could go 6-6. Six and six. And imagine that in the first year of a head coach. And think about the first years of previous head coaches. I know you don't want to, but let's, let's do it. The peak of Lovey Smith's first year was when Keyshawn Vaughn ran back that long touchdown against North Carolina, and for a fleeting moment, Memorial Stadium was up for grabs. And that was the peak. Second game of the year. And then it just really fizzled out from there. Bill Cubitt, actually, the first half of that year was pretty fun. They were 4-1 and one going into the Iowa game, the one at home against Nebraska, which Mike Riley basically handed to you. Nebraska has a way of doing that to Illinois. That's why I feel good about Saturday. So really, Bill Cubitt, out of all the coaches in my lifetime, had the best first season. In that case, it was his only season. Tim Beckman's first season, you beat Western Michigan at home. And I actually thought, hey, the defense is great. And the offense was not all that good that day. But you had all these guys coming back from Vic Koenig's defense and thought, you can win five games this year, five or six. Clearly, he can't be worse than Ron Zook. Well, they went two and 10. And there was actually talk after that season of firing Tim Beckman after one season. That's pretty bad. Ron Zook, go back to his first season. They beat Rutgers at home in overtime which was a thrilling game. They beat San Jose State. And then the third game of the year, it was not televised, but it, you had to listen on the radio. I went to my friend Michael Murphy's place, and we listened as Illinois took, I think, a 21-7 to lead on the road against a ranked California team. And for that moment, it felt like, oh my God, Ron Zook is going to turn this thing around immediately. Well, they didn't win another game, 2-10. and 10. So <laughs> uh, Ron Turner, 0-11. Lou Tepper, that was a little bit before my time in terms of being a conscious fan. But in my life, the first years of Illinois head coaches has not been good. We are due for a surprisingly good first year. And I like how this sets up, too, in terms of the fan base and our expectations and the overall vibe going into this. There is a wait-and-see approach that I think a lot of people are taking. I don't think people are going to be super quick-triggered based on what we see on the field, as long as it isn't awful. I don't think people will even require a bunch of wins to make them feel as if this thing's heading in the right direction because we've grown so accustomed to awful year ones that merely being okay will make me feel good going into year two, three, and four. So that's a low bar, I guess is one way to look at it, but it also goes back to a term that I use sometimes, which is fan pressure. That when you walk into the stadium, how nervous or anxious do you feel? And I don't know if I'm going to feel that nervous or anxious, especially in the early going. Because it's kind of fun to enter a new coaching regime and see how it might turn out. And it hasn't turned out well in my lifetime, regardless of the coaching staff. But this one, there is a different sense that, yeah, it'll be okay. You know, they'll get it figured out. An, an eerie calm that I'm not accustomed to as an Illini fan. 
I don't know if that's how you feel. Maybe you are super jazzed up for Saturday. I am, and I do think they're going to win Saturday. Uh, But in terms of how I feel about this program, short and long term, I'm somewhat at ease. And I think a big part of that is we are seeing a plan executed from the outset, from the staff that he surrounded himself with that has a ton of experience, to the recruiting, which is getting guys that Illinois should get. They aren't losing that many of them. And yeah, quantity matters early on. They got a lot of guys already signed up for this 2022 class. They're looking good in terms of the team rankings in the Big Ten. And kind of going with the P.J. Fleck Minnesota model, get the guys in here. And I think that's totally fine with where this program's at and all the guys you're going to lose going into next year, including the 22 super seniors. Now, this is from an article that Jeremy wrote back on July 11th. And I wanted to look at a depth chart to get an idea of who I'm going to be seeing on the field. And I was struck by how many familiar names there are. We all assume this, that with all the guys saying, I'm coming back, Jake Hansen, I'm coming back. Holy crap. I mean, we might actually be pretty decent this year. But this is something that blew my mind as I read this. In the third paragraph of this story from Jeremy, this is a update pre-training camp projected Illini football 2021 depth chart. So again, from July 11th, but I don't think much has changed in terms of the depth chart. Start of the third paragraph. In fact, only four players who made multiple starts last season for Illinois are no longer on the Illini roster. So let me read that again. Four players that made multiple starts last year, only four of them are not on the roster. That's Kendrick Green, Josh Matterbebe, Nate Hobbs, uh, Milo Eifler. Good players, but not crippling to lose those guys when you consider all the other players that made multiple starts. The counter to that is that you weren't good last year. (laughs) So let's start with my biggest concern, which is quarterback. You can do worse than Brandon Peters, but the fact that he was not elected a captain by his own teammates as a 23-year-old quarterback that is now entering his third year at Illinois, that concerns me. And when I say that, I feel like that's a bit of meathead analysis. Well, if he's not a captain, then clearly the guys don't like him. They might like him fine. But it is the most important position on the field. And the fact that he was not viewed to the same level as guys like, listen, Verdarian Lowe is clearly an incredible dude. Listen to him talk and hear his story. And you understand why this guy is voted a captain along with four others. But that was something where they they say, okay, we're voting on captains. We'll, We'll put it out tomorrow. And then I see that Brandon Peters is not one of them, despite being the clear opening week starter. And he he will be the quarterback this year as long as he's healthy. That concerns me. And with Brandon Peters, I know last year, give him an incomplete grade because when he did play, uh, he was pretty good. Nebraska, of course, is the highlight. But when you miss three weeks due to COVID, it's sort of difficult to make any, I think, fair judgments about how good he could be. And keep in mind, he was a quarterback put in a system that might not have been the best for his skill set. And I don't even think Rod Smith knew quite what to do with a more typical dropback passer. Brandon Peters can run, but he's probably best served in an offense where he hands the ball off more often than not, and that he makes the occasional big throw because he's got the arm to do that. But that is my biggest concern entering this year. And any time you enter a season and there's uncertainty about the quarterback position, that does not bode well for how good that team could be. And that's kind of the history of Illinois football. Kurt Kittner, Sugar Bowl, Micron PC. Nathan Shieldhouse, good quarterback, two bowl games in four years. 
You'd have to go back then to Juice Williams, but really only one ball game. And Juice was pretty inconsistent. But when he was on, he was on. And I know there was the whole Mike Schultz era in 2009. So I do not blame Juice at all for that senior year where he turned Juice into a West Coast offense quarterback, a drop-down, five-yard slant pattern kind of guy. That was not what Juice was good at. But you look at the good Illini seasons, what's the common denominator? A good quarterback. And I don't know yet if Brandon Peters is what you would consider a good quarterback. He's a guy that can make the throws. But in terms of what constitutes a good quarterback, there's much more to it, a lot of variables and intangibles. I don't know if he has those. And we can point to the dive against California, and you know he didn't even get the first down on it, but of course, that was the one play from that bowl game that people remember. And that's great. He made a great effort to try to get the first down. But more often than not, there's this sense of aloofness from him. Wes Lunt almost, you know, and not to bury Wes Lunt. I know that he had some injury concerns as well, but it's something maddening being in the stands and seeing a guy that has all the physical tools and yet doesn't have it. Whatever it is, they don't seem to have it. That's my concern. Elsewhere on offense, you got great running backs. You got a really good stable of those guys. Oh, real quick, uh, the Sitkowski kid is likely your backup for quarterback. I know he was terrible at Rutgers, but Rutgers at that point was a terrible program. So I will give Sitkowski a chance in case he has to come into a game and that maybe with this coaching staff, he will be a competent quarterback. But I think you could do worse as a backup, uh, but this program needs, needs a stud quarterback. I like that they're getting linemen and all that, but they need to get a stud quarterback. Okay, running back, Chase Brown, Reggie Love, Chase Hayden, Mike Epstein, if healthy, you're fine there. I mean, good Lord, Jakari Norwood is your fifth running back, and he's looked pretty good when he's been out there. So you got depth, and if one guy goes down, you're going to be okay. Wide receiver is interesting, and I actually am not as scared about this position as I think other people might be. We know that Donnie Navarro is very reliable, not a game breaker, but a reliable pass catcher. And I think in this offense, that's going to be plenty good to be a starter all 12 games and to be sort of a safety valve for Brandon Peters, the first guy that he looks for. Brian Hightower showed that he had some big play potential. Isaiah Williams is the wild card, and this is where I'm most excited on this offense. I was actually mildly surprised that Isaiah Williams, despite being younger, all the things that are said by coaches and his fellow teammates, I thought he was going to be made a captain, the way that all this praise is heaped on him. And he will be at some point. Clearly, he is thought of highly. And the fact that he made this transition and was fully on board to give up being the starting quarterback, despite what we saw last year. The guy had flashes. Not a great not great accuracy or anything, but there was the it factor that I mentioned earlier. He has it. Now, will that translate to the wide receiver position? I think it can. Some guys can just play, and he might be that guy. Regardless of position, he might be that guy that just excels wherever you put him. And this is probably the better spot for him. So I am really excited to see Isaiah Williams in action. And I hope that they don't get too cute with him. Let him just be a wide receiver. You don't need a whole lot of trickery or anything like that. You can have it in your back pocket, but let him just run standard routes. And and if he gets into open space, you know that he can make things happen. Elsewhere, you got that Jafar Armstrong kid. My favorite name on the team, Jafar, is an Aladdin fan. The kid from Notre Dame. Uh, This is where it starts to get a little bit light, though. Kamari Thompson, Carlos Sandy, Marquez Beeson is hurt again. And that's unfortunate, guys. I don't know if we're ever going to see the Marquez Beeson we thought we were getting. It gets thin. 
And that is where the receiver position, you got to hope that Navarro and Hightower are reliable, that Isaiah Williams is a bit of a wild card in a good way, and that Jafar Armstrong, because he has that experience at Notre Dame, can make some catches for you. But it does get thin. And then tight end. You like that, right? Daniel Barker, Luke Ford. We'll see if Luke Ford can make more of an impact this year. I would imagine he would. Uh, But Daniel Barker is really, really good. So you have enough at your skill positions to make me think that could be a good offense. The question is, can Brandon Peters make those throws and make those plays consistently? And he has the line to do that. And if there's a reason why I think 6-6 and is actually a realistic prediction for this team, it is because of the offensive line and the reliability that you have there. Verdarian Lowe, Blake Gerasati, Gerasati, I feel like I pronounce his name incorrectly every time, Doug Kramer, uh, you have Alex Palchuski, uh, Jack Badinovich, Badavinak, transfer, uh, Julian Pearl, uh, Alex Fulstrom, Virtus Brown made the move to left guard. So you have some depth there that you may not have before. And I am excited at the fact that you have so many combined starts on that line. There are going to be, it's not going to be the best line in the Big Ten, right? But I think it is good enough, especially in terms of run blocking, to make this a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten offense. That's all it needs to be, middle-of-the-pack. Rod Smith's offenses, numbers-wise, were not good. They were not good. And I know he had flashes, and when he compared him to Garrick McGee, the guy was a genius. But that was not a good offense for the three, four years that he was here. Uh, so, or was it three? Yeah, three years. So I do think you improve offensively and it won't take much to do that. And I do think you can get to a place where you are in the middle of the pack. Seventh or eighth in the big 10 offensively is a good place for this program or this team to be given the schedule and given the fact that defensively there are more questions than answers. Now you do have some positives. I don't mind the fact that you got Keith Randolph, Roderick Perry, if he's healthy, uh, Jamal Woods, Calvin Avery, Johnny Newton, the defensive line is fine. I think you could do worse at that position. Linebacker, Isaiah Gay and Owen Carney on the outside, that is going to be something exciting to watch because these guys now are not doing the standard sort of kneel-down positioning. No, these guys will be stand-up outside linebackers as part of this new scheme. Jake Hansen is one of the best linebackers in the Big Ten. And that addition alone, when you have someone like a Jay Lehman or a Jake Hansen, that is the quarterback of that defense, it can improve those around them. So I am encouraged by your front seven. I think that you could do worse in your front seven. They are old. Cornerbacks, you got Tony Adams and Devin Witherspoon. I like that a lot. And then it's safety, Sidney Brown, who had some struggles early, but he is experienced. Quan Martin. That is a position where it gets a little bit tricky. Safety is probably the weakness on this defense. You like your cornerbacks. You overall like your front seven. A lack of depth, perhaps, where if some key guys go down, that would really hinder the defense. But overall, can they be a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten defense? Let's say they're ninth or 10th in the Big Ten defensively. I think they can do that. I really do. And that's all you would probably need to go 6-6. Six and 7th six. or 8th offensively, ninth or 10th defensively. I just regardless of a lack of depth or all that, I don't want to see another 13th or 14th in the Big Ten defense. I don't want to see that. That would be very frustrating. I think we're all fatigued by that. And here's the key, everybody. And I say this somewhat in jest, but not really. You have the best specialist in the Big Ten. You do. James McCourt 
and Caleb Griffin is his backup. So your kickers are good. We know that. And then, come on, Blake Hayes is your punter. And he's kind of become a folk hero on Twitter, but the guy is a fantastic punter. Oddly enough, your backup is a 28-year-old from Australia, Hugh Robertson, Australian, of course. He had, let's see here, in the spring game, five punts, averaging 40 yards a punt, two of them inside the 20. So we have the Australian pipeline working just fine. You got to feel good about the specialist as well. Uh, The return game, that will be something I need to look a little bit closely at this year to see who's actually returning kicks, punts and kicks. Um, There are other factors to consider, but in terms of your position groups, safety, you don't feel great about. The overall lack of depth defensively, you don't feel great about. And wide receiver, there are still questions. But you have good running backs. The top three wide receivers, I think you feel okay with. Two good tight ends, experience on the offensive and defensive lines. Jake Hansen is a massive addition, and that all leads back to one person. Where Brandon Peters goes is where this team goes, and he doesn't need to be a superstar. Just be merely good. We've seen it before. Guys that seem to click their final season, everything comes together, and I think that this system would be more conducive to what he can do. I hope he still runs sometimes because he's a really good runner. But don't make that necessarily part of the plan. Let him improvise when he needs to, but otherwise keep it simple. He can make most throws. Just don't ask too much of him and let the running backs carry the load here. And I, that is why I'm encouraged by Brett Bielema and the fit with this offense. What he typically would like to do, I think he can do with this offense, especially the running backs that he has. So overall, you've probably sensed I'm feeling good. It is game week. Illinois, Nebraska, noon on Saturday. Again, I won't be there. Have a drink or three for me, please. I'll be having a few down at this music festival. Um, Oh, one more thing, too. So, you know, we are at a different point than we were a month ago, clearly, with a pandemic. I'm not going to belabor the point, but I will say get prepared for the inevitable announcement that the State Farm Center will require proof of vaccination and or a negative test. That's going to happen. You won't be able to go to these games in November and December without that. That is the trend. And I'm seeing it with music festivals and concerts, and I'm glad that they are because I think we should be able to do these things. We shouldn't be shut in. The vaccine offers enough protection where I feel comfortable going to these things and, you know, clearly not getting up in people's faces and, you know, spitting it, you know, talking right into their face. I don't want to do that necessarily. Uh, But I feel comfortable going to this thing on Saturday and Sunday because when I walk in, I got to show them, here's my copy of my vaccination and my ID. It is not foolproof. It's not 100%. There is inherent risk in anything with crowds. But I think that this is as safe as we can make it. And people just make their own determination from that point. Uh, But be prepared. You know, I I can already see the inevitable uh, crap storm, for lack of a better term, when that is announced by the university. And I would assume it would be announced soon. We'll see if they do that for the football games. It's outdoors, so I don't know if that's as much of a concern. And social distancing is not usually an issue for football. I know that's an old, tired joke, but it's true. We have tickets, but often we just go stand up by that wall on the west side of the main stands because there was room to walk around and stand up and go in the concourse. Get you know, It's never that busy, with the one exception, I think, of Nebraska. And we'll see if it's a sellout. I don't know if it will get to that point, but I would not be shocked if it got close. I think over 50000 is a safe assumption for that, especially if they make an effort to get students in there. 
But that Wisconsin game, if you're somehow 4-2 and two, entering that game on October 9th, that very well could be the first sellout since North Carolina. And that would be pretty cool. All right, we're back. Episode 206, the 200 level after hiatus. We are going to be here consistently. We got some exciting things coming up. We will get some live reaction pods with Trevor and Isaac going as the season goes on. For home football games, that may be tougher. Uh, I think that the three of us are probably going to be going to tailgate and going into the game. So you will probably get reaction podcast on Sunday mornings after home games. And then for away games, we will probably meet up here in the basement studio and do live reaction podcast, I believe in person. So, Hey, um, that is something that will be much better than zoom. I'm excited for that. If I never do zoom again, I'm okay with that. Got to thank you guys for uh, being such an awesome group of listeners. I know it's been a while since we've done this. I hope you will tune in throughout the year. I hope that we have good things to talk about throughout the year. And I hope that this first episode back wasn't too rickety or rusty. I feel good. I feel excited. And uh, I also got to thank, of course, our sponsors, DP Doe. 15 years in operation, as good as ever. So after Illinois beats Nebraska, celebrate with a DP Doe calzone. Hey, they could even deliver it probably to the tailgate lot. So if you got a group and you just want to order some celebratory calzones, dpdoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. That's dpdoe.com. Fourth and Kirby, get your Illini swag in time for the Illinois game on Saturday. This one took about three, four days to get in. So I bet if you ordered it Sunday or Monday, you could get this awesome new T-shirt with the 80s Illini helmet. This is what I'm wearing Saturday. I'm excited for it. Like with everything else they have, this is vintage-inspired stuff. High-quality T-shirts, super comfy. Fourthandkirby.com. State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it. Brian and his staff will hook you up. That is brianismyguy.com. And finally, Rector Construction online at rectorconstruction.com. And I know that construction season we typically think ends after summer, but they can do projects big or small around your house. Give them a call today to get a free quote or visit online at rectorconstruction.com. Com. I really appreciate the sponsors for being with us as we enter our third full year as the 200 level. And of course, Alana Inquirer in the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. All right, everybody. I think I'll be back midweek for a quick little podcast before the game on Saturday. And here we are. The Brett Bielema era has begun. We have a really good basketball program that'll be top 10, top five by the time the season starts. Things are good in Champagne Urbana. I hope you are doing well. I hope you're staying safe and healthy. And in the meantime, start getting your tailgate list together because it is time to get back to Lot 31. I won't see you there on Saturday, but I'll be there next week. Night game, full day tailgating in Lot 31. It's been way too long. And same for the podcast. It's been way too long, but we're back. Thanks again for listening. We will see you later this week. This is the 200 Level.